Today on Locked On A's, we are going over a couple of takeaways from Tuesday's loss to the Angels, and then we're going to be talking about the potential repercussions, repercussions? From Seth Brown playing center field. What impact could that have in 2023? And then we're talking about Chad Pender being open to returning to the Oakland A's. Let's get into it. You are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's time for Locked On A's. Stepping to the mic, it's your host, Jason Burke. How's it going, A's fans? And welcome to episode 463 of the Lockdown A's podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke. And on today's show, we're talking about the A's being a loss away from 100 on the season. We're talking about Seth Brown playing center field and then whether or not the A's will have room for Chad Pinder in 2023. That's that's what we're talking about today. It's going to be a very interesting show, I think. But before we get into it, thank you so much for making Locked On A's your first lesson of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on so- social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm by Jason B on Twitter. If you guys have any questions for us, hit us up in the Twitter community. Pose a question in there. Share an article that you enjoyed or Ask it, you know, an article about a different team. Be like, hey, could the A's do this? I'll think about it. I'll answer on the show. It'll be great. But let's get into today's episode. And the A's are on the verge of doom after last night's loss because they are now just two losses away from one hundred on the season, meaning that they got to go seven and one the rest of the way to avoid that fate. Uh, no matter which way you slice it, that would involve at least one sweep would need to happen the rest of the way, and the A's only have one of those all season long, so the odds are not great that they're going to avoid 100 losses. And, uh, you know, that all said, the A's did have their their best game of the season against Patrick Sandoval, so that was was good. Uh, They got three runs off of them in five and a third innings from Patrick Sandoval, and uh, I I got two main takeaways from this game. The first was the bases loaded infield single that Christian Pache hit that scored the A's first run of the game. On Monday, I mentioned that Connor Capel and Ernie Clement are contact guys, and that contact is something that the A's are trying to get more out of from their lineup. And so I think that Pache, in this instance, kind of did something good, even though he didn't. He hit it like 88 miles an hour, which is a little bit above league average, and it had a negative 60-degree launch angle. So definitely not the, the stat cast metrics that you want for hitting a baseball to score runs. But hey, it got the job done because he made contact. And sometimes good things happen. And it felt like with stuff like that happening, and then Nick Allen just roped a double to the wall and Pache tried to score from first and uh, he was thrown out. But I think that that was more the third base coach than Christian Pache because he was he was on the tail of, I believe it was Langoliers uh, who was ahead of him. And it, it was very difficult for the third base coach to differentiate between who he was trying to send and stay if he was in fact trying to, if he thought about having Pache not go because he was out by a while. But um, yes, this is just something that is interesting that 
The A's are trying to make more contact. Christian Pache didn't hit it hard, but it got the job done because he has speed and he was able to sprint to first and a run came home. Uh, sometimes just putting the ball in play is all you need to do. And I think that that is kind of where the A's are going now. They, they've got a couple of guys that can, you know, really mash. You got Seth Brown and his 25 home runs. You got Dermis Garcia. I think he's got five still, but He's only played for a few weeks, so you would think that he can hit 20 or more over the course of an entire season. But uh, yeah, this is going to be an interesting A's lineup, I think, come 2023. Uh, but my second takeaway from this game is that the A's only struck out six times in this game, and that included two from the power guys, uh, Seth Brown and Dermis Garcia. That means that everybody else that got in that bat in this game had two strikeouts, total combined and that is very interesting because in years past basically anybody in in the A's lineup would strike out a couple of times you Chapman Olsen uh Loriano Sean Murphy is apparently a better contact hitter now uh Seth Brown obviously uh Mark Canna all of these guys could strike out a decent amount and now the A's are seeming to get away trying to get away from that and put the ball in play more try to go more you know let's just string together some doubles sort of like how the Astros do and the Astros are generally a pretty good offense uh, the A's of 2023 are going to be able to make contact if nothing else they might not be able to score runs but they'll be able to make some decent contact and put the ball in play and hey we're going to get some lucky wins out of it it's going to be fun but uh, I also Wanted to really quickly uh, question Mark Kotze on one move that he made, and it was not to put A.J. Puck into the game. Uh, I, honestly, as long as he's not facing either Shohei Otani, who I know is a lefty, but as long as he's not facing Otani or Mike Trout, uh, I, I don't care who he's deployed against on this Angels team. Uh, he has to pitch to somebody, and those are the only two real big threats. I, I think Anthony Rendon just got activated, but those are the only two real main threats in this Angels lineup. And so uh, he's got to face somebody, and who who else do you really? I mean, Tyler Sear, he's been, he, he got his outs against those guys, so he did okay. Uh, Austin Pruitt's been fine, but... AJ Puck still got like a under a 3.5 ERA on the entirety of the season. He's struggling currently. He's still a pretty good pitcher. So he's got to he's got to get over it somehow. So you got to keep using him. But uh the question that I do have is why Kotze needed to or decided to. He didn't need to. Decided to pinch hit for Jordan Diaz in the eighth inning. I know Connor Capel had been swinging a hot bat and had a couple of big swings against the Mets over the weekend, and I understand that it was a lefty-ready matchup, blah, 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 blah. But that said, Jordan Diaz is 22 years old, and he is in the big leagues because he can swing the bat. That is why he's here. A right-hander on the mound is not going to phase him. I don't understand the, the logic here. It's... It's insane. Honestly, it's not insane, but I'm being dramatic. It's insane, you guys. Uh, in the minors this season, Jordan Diaz hit 325 against righties and 300 against lefties. But Jason, the minor leagues aren't the major leagues. I know, but it's not like Connor Capel is like an experienced veteran either. So, hey, maybe we go with the kid who has a good hit tool and see what he can do with a runner on. Uh, I, I, I know that Connor Capel could be working himself into a role with the club next season, so you want to give him opportunities to kind of seize those opportunities and maybe get that role 
heading into spring training, but Jordan Diaz could be a very special bat, and hiding him in these situations is not going to help him learn at the big league level, which is why he's here, and what you want him to do heading into 2023, so he has that experience, and uh, it's just... It's just weird. So with this move and their insistence that he plays a position now in that now that he's been in the big leagues, uh, I'm a little bit worried that they're going to try and mess him up. And hopefully he's just good enough to overcome the A's in this instance, as well as the opposition. But uh, it, obviously hindsight is 20-20, but Capel granted into a double play in his pinch hit role, and that's fine. I'm not mad that he got used late in a late game situation. Uh, I, I'm confused why they took out one of their best pure hitters to give him that spot. That's why I'm confused. Uh, earlier in the inning, Tony Kemp had hit for Chad Pinder, so they, they were probably going to use him uh, in at second base. This was probably a plan all along, but Tony Kemp can also play in the outfield, you guys. They, they, they didn't need to do this. Uh, so you could make the argument that another neat move had to be made after Tony Kemp had come into the game, but Brown could have moved to right and Kemp to left, and then that problem would have been solved. It's it's not that hard. Uh, or you could have used Capel for Pender straight up if you really wanted to get Capel into the game. But I guess that the overall reasoning here would be which, which pair is better? Which two hitters do you want up in this situation? And do you want Kemp and Capel, which is what we got, and nothing happened? Uh, or do you want Capel hitting for Pinder and Diaz not getting pinch hit for? Uh, if that is the rationale, then it, it kind of makes sense. But also, Jordan Diaz, I, I know that you want to win games, Mark, but really... You, you got to be thinking towards next season as well. And little things like this, um, I don't know that they're going to be uh, as like, ah, whatever, the A's stink next year. Uh, I know that the A's might stink next year. They might also have a chance of being good. And these kind of moves aren't going to be okay, I guess. You got you to be on your game when you're a good team there, Mark. Uh, you got a mulligan. Anyways, uh, Kemp is, a, is another hot bat, and he is a veteran. So I could see... The, the team deferring to him over Diaz late in, in a late game situation. I, I understand that, but Jordan Diaz is here to learn. And you took away a good learning opportunity to see what he can do against a tough righty, a tough righty reliever. Uh, screw the numbers. The numbers don't mean anything right now. He's hitting 391 in like a week in the big leagues. He's doing fine. We don't have a sample size on how he is in the big leagues yet, so uh, it's just weird. It doesn't sit right, and uh, hopefully we don't see it again. But coming up, we're going to be talking about Seth Brown playing center field and the repercussions that could be felt on the roster because of that, so stick around. It's hump day in more ways than one thanks to Blue Chew. Summer is winding down, the nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, we all know that confidence can take you far in life. That's especially true in the bedroom, especially when it's time to step up to the plate. And that is where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready when the whenever an opportunity arises. Arises. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. 
So if you could benefit from a little extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. And we've got a deal special for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code Locked On at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code Locked On to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information, and we thank BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome back to the Locked on Ace podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. We're available on all platforms, including YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, also, make sure to follow us on social media, at Locked on Ace on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at ByJasonB on Twitter. If you guys have any questions for us, join our Twitter community. Pose a question in there. Make some friends. There's lots of great people over there. But let's talk about Seth Brown in center because Matt Kawahara wrote an article in the Chronicle about Seth Brown getting some time in center as the season winds down to see if that could be a role for him next year too. That's what the article is about. But that got me thinking, uh, hey, how's he doing over there? And hey, where does everybody fit if Seth Brown's the center fielder? So uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, So far in limited chances, he has a negative one outs above average on baseball savant. So he's been slightly below league average. Uh, you, you would imagine that it would get worse with more chances, but also it could get better. I don't know. Uh, he needs a bigger sample size, but it hasn't been great. He used to be a great uh, defensive outfielder, and now he's roughly league average. So, yeah, we'll see. But the move got me thinking, uh, why would they need Seth Brown to play center field if they have Christian Pache, who will be out of options, I believe, so he has to be on the team. Where else is he going to play? Uh, and then they also got Ramon Laureano, on the team. And I know that Laureano has been playing more right field in deference to Christian Pache generally, but uh, yeah, he could also play some center, right? Playing Brownie in center could be a contingency plan for something like if both Pache and Ramon are hurt and your Capels and Thomases and Stevensons aren't cutting it, I suppose. But uh, that is a, a lot of planning to be done for a very random contingency plan. Uh, instead, I think that it may be more likely that Ramon may be shopped around this winter. Uh, From a rebuilding standpoint, obviously you want to trade guys when they have the most value, but he is also entering his age 28 season. He's already 28 years old, but he'll be in his age 28 season next year. Uh, And he has missed time this season with hip injuries, and he missed the first month due to his PED suspension from last year. So I... He, this is basically a lost year for him. 2020, he was up and down. He hasn't been the same guy that he, we saw in his like first couple of years. He, he hasn't been that guy. And if they keep waiting on him to recoup that value and then move him, he might be north of 30 by then. And then what are you going to be getting? And that, that's kind of where I'm sitting right now is this winter may be one of those times where you just get what you can for him and then you move on because you have all these other guys that are kind of impressive and kind of have some bats and you, you want to work with them a little bit. They're going to cost you a little bit less money. They have more team control. There, there's upside to some of these guys where Ramon may have you know reached his peak and then Gone, regressed a little bit. And maybe that's how they're thinking about this. I'm not sure. Maybe him wanting a second opinion from somebody who wasn't a team doctor rubbed them the wrong way. And so maybe they're going to ship him out of town for that. Um, it, it, I don't know. But it, it feels weird that Seth Brown would be the guy that you're like, yeah, let's give him more playing time in center field. When he's doing fine in the other positions that you've been having him play, he's more athletic than a first baseman. So I, I get wanting to play him in the outfield. But 
center field, sure, I guess. Um, and this would, trading Ramon would bring back something, something that would probably help the rebuild, plus open up more opportunities for other guys like Pache or Stevenson or Capel or anybody else that they do actually bring in. And I know that Ramon's down season like, uh, likely seems like it'll keep him out of trade rumors this season, but he'll be in a second year of arbitration, meaning another pay raise. And if the A's don't view him as reliable to be on the field, then from their standpoint, they could use that four or $5 million another way to help them try and improve the club for 2023 and beyond. They could sign a free agent for four or $5 million or even less and maybe improve little pieces here and there, have a better bench and hey, see what happens. Can they go 500 next year and somehow get an actual playoff berth? Uh, I don't know. This could also be very reminiscent of the Sonny Gray trade when the A's were seemingly waiting for him to get healthy for a while before they finally could move him because he was healthy at a trade deadline. So they could just hold on to Ramon since he has three years of team control after this one. But it's a balancing act because I mentioned before that he did just turn 28 and teams aren't going to be shelling out prospect packages for an injured 30-year-old uh, outfielder either. So uh, this winter could be a matter of just taking what they can get and moving on and seeing what's next. And I'm not trying to be like, ah, Ramon needs to get out of here. I'm just saying this is this is how I'm seeing it because it's it's weird to have Seth Brown be your center fielder down the stretch when you're just getting a lot of guys acclimated to the big leagues and trying to see who can work where. And you, you, you got Connor Capel. You got Stevenson down in AAA. You got Cody Thomas down in AAA. Why aren't those guys up here now playing center field? It seems weird. Um, so that, that wraps up my Seth Brown uh, in center field segment. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I It just feels like something else is up other than Seth Brown is playing center field. Maybe they're going to... Uh, platoon him, I guess, with Christian Pache next year, because I assume that Pache is going to be up, but... And Ramon hasn't been great in center field either, so maybe they're just planning on not using Ramon in center field. Uh, for, and by not great, I mean statistically on baseball savants and, you know, others. Uh, that He's not grading out well. He still looks good, but he's not grading out well. He still has that great jump, but... Uh, the, the outs above average have not been there for him. So maybe they want to use him more in right field, utilize his arm over there. And maybe they're not sure that Pache is going to be ready to hit the ground running. So maybe this is just a Christian Pache uh, insurance plan. Maybe that's all it is. And I'm reading too much into it. But uh, I don't know. I like trades. And I don't want to see Ramon go, but it kind of feels like it, it might be now or never with him. So we'll see what happens next year. Maybe he's a trade candidate for next year at the deadline but coming up we got one guy that wants to stick around and i'm not sure that there's going to be room on him on this 2023 roster because the a's are going to have 15 bullpen arms as i keep saying and i don't know if people think that is funny or not but i'm going to keep doing it so 15 bullpen arms can chad pender make it in the bullpen that's not what i'm talking about i'm just talking about whether or not the a's have room for him so that's uh that's coming up stick around Welcome back to the Locked On Ace Podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show and you've made it this far, please leave us a five-star review on your platform of choice. We're available on all of them. 
Also, make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am a by Jason B on Twitter. But let's talk about Chad Pender being open to a return to the green and gold in 2023 because he told the Chronicle, Matt Kawahara doing all the scoops this week, uh, he told the Chronicle recently that he'd be open to returning to the A's next season, and I don't doubt that at all. I like Chad Pender. Now I'm going to bury him a little bit, and I'm sorry to Chad Pender and his family. Um, well wishes. But... He, he's hit some absolute tanks at the Coliseum. They've been memorable shots. I have written about them. This is back when I was blogging, and I don't do that much anymore, but maybe I will someday soon. Keep an ear out. Um, but he's basically a platoon option at this point with his splits against lefties doing most of the heavy lifting. He has a 578 OPS against righties, which is not great, and he has a 736 OPS against lefties, which is a lot better. It's still a little bit below league average, I believe, but... It's a lot better, so that's good. Uh, he doesn't walk a lot, which keeps his on-base percentage low. And uh, it's at 258 this season. That's Chad Pinder's on-base this season. He's hitting like 220 with a 258 on-base. Those aren't great numbers. And I know that he's Chad Pinder, and he's been around for a long time. And he's a platoon guy now, and he plays basically the outfield. And the A's have lots of interesting outfield guys that... Might be able to hit a little bit more, make a little bit more contact, walk a little bit more, play a little slightly better defense. Um, and I, I don't know that w with where he's been playing more, like the most in left and right field, if he's going to have a spot on the roster, if he even if he wants one and he's signing for a, a low, like a one-year $2 million, I don't know that that would be in the A's, not best interest, but if they would be willing to do that because they could also have... One of the five guys that I mentioned in the last segment, they have one of those guys do it for like the league minimum. So why, why pay Chad Pender more money to do it worse? Maybe. I don't know. But that all said, uh, Chad Pender could be a pretty solid veteran presence and would have value in showing the new guys how things are done in Oakland and in this clubhouse because he was drafted by the club and then came through the A system and has been a regular in the big leagues for seven seasons. That's not nothing. That's that's why you pay him the $2 million, I guess. Uh, there is a world in which Chad Pender does stay with the A's. Definitely agree with that. I think that that can happen. I don't know that it will happen. And I'm the previous stuff is, here's the argument against it is all. But there's plenty of argument for keeping Chad Pender like his veteran presence. Maybe... He can work on some stuff and get better because maybe he's better than that 258 on base. You guys, I think that no matter where he signs, he is going to be signing late in the offseason, like a February, March type guy, uh, because he's not going to be highly sought after, you would imagine. And that would mean that the A's will have time to contemplate uh, what they want to do during the offseason and then assess where the roster is at, you know, in February or maybe even March and see if they could use a Chad Pender. And I think that that is the, the A's love doing all of their big moves right before spring training. So this could be one of their big moves and I'm using air quotes, but uh, one thing that could make this potential union interesting is if Pinder signed an incentive laden, like one year deal. Um, I don't know what, what those incentives would be because he'd still be a platoon guy, mostly against lefties. Uh, but you know, if he hit like 20 home runs or something, um, he, he'd get, half a million dollars more, or if he struck out. See, it's weird because it's all tied to playing time. And if he's not, if he's a platoon guy, I don't know how you work playing time stuff because 
it, it just makes it hard where you, I don't know. But if they could figure something out, that'd be great. And maybe I will do a segment later where I try to figure out incentives that would be good for a platoon player. But uh, I, I don't have those for you guys today. And the, the reason that I say give him like an incentive-laden contract is because maybe something there to invigorate him on the field and return him back to the offensive player that he was back in 2018. If, if they could figure that out, that would be great. That Chad Pinder, I definitely want on my roster. I want that guy on my 2023 Oakland A's because, and I picked that season because that's the last time that uh, he was above league average. Since then, he has been below league average at the dish. And it wouldn't make a lot of sense to not give that playing time to somebody else who could potentially be at least league average for less money and more team control um, if Chad Pender isn't being productive. So that's that's the only argument that I'm saying. Uh, yeah, don't bring him back because I, I, I don't know. Do something else. But also, I like Chad Pender, like a decent amount. But is he still productive? I, I don't know. Is he a veteran presence? I, I think that that's where I'm, I'm hung up is I, I don't know what his role in the clubhouse is. Is he a Tony Kemp and a Steven Vogt type? If he is, great. Yeah, bring him back one year, two, three million dollars. Add some incentives. Make it worth his while. Make it so that he can go make some money, be productive on the field, help this team start to reach some new goals. That would be fantastic. But I don't know where he, what he does in the clubhouse. Honestly, so that's uh that's kind of where I'm standing right now. Am I being too harsh? Because I feel bad because I like Chad Pinder a lot, but uh, I, I've texted my dad many times. Uh, I think that I tried to trade him like a couple of years ago when he was you know hit hitting, and uh, my dad's like, "You wanted to trade Chad Pinder?" And uh, that became a joke <laughs> after he would hit like every home run. So uh, I, I feel bad, but and I feel like I'm being harsh, but am I being too harsh? I'm legitimately asking, am I being too harsh? Let, hit me up on Twitter, at ByJasonB on Twitter. Uh, let me know if you want Chad Pinder back, how much you would be willing to spend on Chad Pinder to bring him back. Is it a multi-year deal? Is it a one-year deal? What, what are you thinking here? And what role is he going to be playing on the 2023 Oakland A's? Hit me up on Twitter, at ByJasonB. But that's all that I got for you guys today. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll be talking about the, the Wednesday game between the A's and Angels, and then some other stuff. I don't know. We're going to see where the writing takes me tonight, so it'll be fun. But thank you so much for making Locked On A's your first listen of the day. Now go make your second listen to the Locked On MLB podcast, because baseball expert Paul Francis Sullivan Sully, as he likes to be called, he brings humor and passion and a unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked On MLB. They're on the Odyssey app. They're on YouTube. They're wherever you get your podcasts, just like us at Locked On A's. So subscribe to Sully at Locked On MLB. Subscribe to me over at Locked On A's, wherever you like to hear podcasts. And also make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at ByJasonB on Twitter. But that's all that I got for you guys today. So until next time, go out and celebrate good times, A's fans. And I will talk at you tomorrow. 